Well, I appreciate y'all being here today. We're grateful, and for those of you who are um, online with us as well, um, uh, so grateful last week. I know y'all were encouraged by our youth Sunday, our youth uh, being a part of our worship service, and Gavin brought us an amazing message, and very thankful for a church that values our youth right now, and, and, and just very grateful. They did a great job. Keep hearing good things about that, and, and that's very encouraging. But we are going to continue our sermon series called Big Picture Perspective from Paul's Letter to the Philippians. And I, I want to share this morning just something that happened to me several years ago. I was, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, it was like 20 years ago. But um, I was working um, at... Uh, a university, Florida Gulf Coast University and campus ministry um, in Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, uh, one of the things that we did there on campus um, was to have this table that was out kind of in the student union, uh, and it was called um, the listening post. And students could come by and talk to uh, us, and different campus ministers would be there just sitting there with like, a, I don't know, a bowl of candy or something. We would just talk about life and uh, ultimately faith and those kind of things came up. So I remember this guy came up to me. His name was Eddie, and we started talking. And after a, a couple of times, uh, uh, he said, uh, well, you know I'm Jewish. And I was like, well, no, I guess there was something about his name or something that I should have been clued in on that, but I didn't know that. So I said, well, no. And he says, well, I am Jewish, but I really think, and this is what he said, he phrased it just like this, I really think that Jesus is the guy. <laughs> That's how he phrased it to me. And I was like, wow. And I said, so as I got to know Eddie and talk to Eddie about this, he says, uh, but you know, for me to actually make that commitment and say in my life that Jesus is the guy, man, that would really cause some, uh, some, some stuff in my family. And I was, you know, kind of like, what? Uh, and it was the first time where I really understood that, you know, I, I told him as I was kind of sharing my background that, you know, I grew up in the church, in the Christian church, um, understanding from a little kid who Jesus was and how he loves me, and, and he went to the cross for all of us. And that all seemed really easy for me to just accept and, and be a part of my life. It wasn't a big deal. But now as I heard Eddie talking about his family and their Jewish background and what he was raised to believe, it wasn't that easy. It was much more of a struggle for him, so for him to say that. So I remember talking with him through that, and I, and I I directed him to this letter, the Philippians, and to this particular passage that we're going to look at today where um, Paul says, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is what I remember reading and showing this to Eddie and say, man, I come from a different background, but ultimately we all have to somehow work out our salvation with fear and trembling because deciding what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing we will ever decide. It's the most important thing we will ever decide because once we make a decision about that, everything else in our life comes from what we've decided to believe about Jesus. It's that important. So I shared that with him, and, and uh, you know, I remember talking to Eddie uh, more times, and I, I left after a couple of years, and I think he graduated. And I don't, I don't know what happened to Eddie. I don't know if he ever made a commitment to Jesus as the guy. You know, I don't ever have, but I trust that that time I had with Eddie, that I planted some seeds, hopefully from God's Word, that made him understand that it is a, it is a wrestling thing. Uh, to try to decide. It's not easy for everybody. Everybody comes from different backgrounds and different situations, and it, it's not always just easy to just go, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and it's that simple. It can be difficult sometimes. But as we continue through this letter that Paul wrote to these 
Jesus followers in the first century at, at Philippi. We remember uh, just a couple things I'm going to kind of review real quickly that these folks have been very supportive of Paul, not only prayerfully, but also with their money, saying, we know you're going all over, we want to support you. And so these people were very important to Paul. Um, they were concerned about Paul and the possible outcome of what might happen to him as a result, as you may have remembered uh, as we've been going through this. Paul is in Rome awaiting. He's under house arrest, and he's waiting trial. He's getting ready to go before Caesar and plead his case. And so there's a lot of fo folks that, you know, are getting to hear the gospel, as he said, in the palace guard because of what's happened to him. And Paul doesn't see this as a negative. He sees this as a positive. But there's still some fear. Not only are the Philippian people concerned that, you know, Paul could be executed. Caesar may go, yeah, you're not doing that anymore. Let's just kill him. He had that kind of power. Or he could let him go and continue doing what he's doing. And so Paul is, has a little fear of this. These people have a little fear. And then even for them, they're going... Maybe that's what's going to be next for us. If I'm a Jesus follower and Paul got arrested, maybe I'm going to get arrested. Maybe I'll get executed. So they, all these things are going on. And there's that thing again, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul knows there's some fear there. But he also knows there's some disunity going on in the church. And Paul addresses this indirectly in the first part of the letter. But in the second part of the letter, as we move through it, you'll see that Paul directly calls some people out on their disunity and how they need to get that together. But Paul was very clear that even those things might look grim for him and the situation in the world, he says, God's at work. You have to believe and know that God is always at work, even when we don't can't make sense of all these things that are going on in our culture and sometimes even in our personal lives. And he was aware, he said, that there's some pe people out there that are preaching the gospel with ulterior motives. This has gotten back to him. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Paul goes, yeah, I know, but I'm not going to get upset at that. The important thing is that the gospel was being preached. Paul continues to have this big picture perspective. And Paul made a powerful statement in the letter that clearly gave the Philippians and other groups kind of uh, uh, as they read that letter, to reread and go, what did he say? What did he mean? And he said this, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What does that even mean, Paul? And Paul kind of explained it. It was his worldview. It was his philosophy of life, the way he looked at life. As he says, I would like to die and get out of this corrupt, crazy world that I'm in. I've been all over the world, and I've seen all kind of rough things. I've seen some amazing things. But to get out of that and be with Christ eternally, I would like to do that. That seems to be better. But I also struggle. I have this struggle in my life. I, I, it's a, it's a, um, I'm torn between also staying here and continuing to share Jesus with people because that's what they really need. And that's what God has called me to. So he said, I'm torn between those two alternatives. And the last time we looked at this letter, we read from chapter 2, the first 11 verses, which are very powerful. And Paul had included what we believe was or later became actually a hymn or a praise song or some kind of reading that the early church uh, read during worship, maybe describing the lordship of Jesus, who he was in the form God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing in humility became a servant. And so he made clear to the Philippians and to us in this letter 
that we should have that same attitude, that same mindset of humility that Jesus had. So that's kind of where we closed last time. Well, in our text today, we're going to look at another part of this letter that I hope, as we look at it, will really inspire us. Paul continued to challenge his readers to move forward in unity. we got to be on the same page. we got to be a part of the same big picture that this is all about Jesus and, and, and teaching people to be... Um, realize how he can transform your life and how we need to be unified in that. And uh, this is consistent with Paul's other letters, as we heard Gavin preach very clearly last week from 1 Corinthians and, and Paul's uh, first letter saying, hey, unity is so important. We have different you know, parts, but we're all part of the same body, and we need to recognize that. So we're going to read chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It's only two verses this week, but there's a lot in here I want to kind of unpack with us if I can. All right, thanks for having that up. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And there's a lot in those two verses. And maybe some questions might come out of that. The first question is, who is this obedience Or to whom is this obedience that Paul implies that the Philippians and us, we should submit to? And it sounds like he's uh, kind of talking about, are they supposed to be submitting to his authority? But ultimately, Paul's not necessarily talking about his authority just for the sake of authority. But he's saying, this is about obedience to God and his word. And God, throughout the Bible, throughout history, has spoken to people to be his spokesperson for him. And he clearly received it from God as an apostle and passed it on to the Philippians. Paul says, I can never forget when I was Saul and on the road to Damascus, he struck me down blind and he spoke directly to me and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Saul, Paul would never forget that. It turned his life. It was a defining moment in his life. And he says, I received that word from Christ and I can never stop giving that to other people because that's what God's called me to do. That's the role. He takes this role as an apostle that God says, hey, you were to take the message of Christ to the Gentiles. I know you were the Jew. You thought you were the top Jew, but I'm telling you, you need to take the message to the Gentiles. And that's what Paul spent the rest of his life doing. So Paul's not trying to be a control freak here or arrogant here. He's establishing his his authority and responsibility from Jesus himself to teach them. And he says whether he's there with them or away in Rome, he says whether that, the truth that he's shared with them through, through this letter and through other uh, ways and established by God that the Philippians need to live these things out daily whether he's there or not. Now I'll give you an example of that. I thought about this. When we were building this building, and I would joke with people that when we were building this building, I got to sit in on like all these meetings. And I really don't know why because I'd never even built a doghouse. I, I didn't know anything about building, but I was fascinated at all the different meetings and, and all the decisions we had to make, all the different regulations and things. And as we got down towards the end, um, we had to have a final inspection by the county inspector. And when the county inspector, you were depending on him to say, him or her, I think it was him at this particular time, but he has to say, okay, if you do these last few things, then you can have what we had to have in order to have y'all in here was what's called a certificate of occupancy. 
And so he said, well, you got to do this, this, and this. There was like, I can't remember, there were four or five things that we had to do before we could get that certificate of occupancy. Now, while he's standing in the building pointing these out and saying, this has to be changed, this has to be done, we're going, oh, man, that seems like a minor thing, but I guess we got to do it. But if we had, to his face, said, yeah, we're going to do those things, but then as soon as he walked out the door, we go, no, we're not doing that. That's stupid. Why? Who does he think he is to tell us that we can't have people in this building until we do these nitpicky things that don't seem to make sense to us? And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're just not going to do that. And then we decided we were going to go ahead and start having services anyway. You know what? We could have done that. But eventually we would have been found out. And they're like, hey, what are those guys meeting at Southwest for? You have to. Then the sheriff would have showed up and they would have shut us down. <laughs> now, how embarrassing that would have been. Um, in our community to say, oh, that church thinks they're above the rules and they're not going to obey as a good citizen and do what they're supposed to do as responsible citizens. Well, we didn't do that. We got those things done and we eventually got that certificate of occupancy. So Paul, in the same way, is not saying he needs the Philippians to obey him just for the sake of obeying him because of his authority. But it's that what he taught them has value in transforming others. It transformed him. It has transformed them. And it has value in transforming others. So you need to listen about this unity thing and how you present salvation and the gospel to other people. Just like, you know, that guy wasn't just trying to, for the sake of authority, tell us what we had to do. No, there was all kind of history in Coweta County. If this doesn't get done, it might pose a safety hazard to people. So all those things had to be done. And Paul is talking about the same things. You need to do these things because they're what best, there's what, it's what's best for everybody. So simply agreeing or obeying with Paul in his presence, saying, yeah, Paul, we're going to do all that stuff. But as soon as he leaves town, behaving completely different when he's absent, that ultimately hurts the witness of the church and of the cause for Christ and the community. But what we do know is, is in the early church drew tremendous, grew tremendously even after Jesus left. You know, he died on the cross, he rose again. We know that he stayed 40 days and 40 nights, and then he ascended into heaven. But people didn't stop obeying Christ because he wasn't physically here anymore. The Holy Spirit empowered people, and they go, no, what he said, what he lived was the real deal. We need to do that stuff, not just because he's here or not here, but because it's the right thing to do. This is how life goes better, and God the Creator tells us this in Jesus' um, example. So our behavior, listen to this carefully, our behavior outside this worship service and building is what displays who we really are and what we really believe about Jesus. We can sit here and wave our hands and we can sing the songs and we can get emotional and we can be, you know, you know, you know, all not, you know, tied into Jesus and what he's saying to us through his word. But when we leave here, how are we going to react when somebody pulls out in front of us this afternoon? How are we going to react when the server brings us the wrong order? <laughs> you know, how are we going to do junk in our family this afternoon? It all matters. And, and whether, you know, Jesus is physically here. No, we know he's present here in us. He really is in spirit with us. So work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is the second question I had. Now, wait a minute, Paul. I thought you said in a lot of your letters that, that salvation is free. It's not something that we have to work for. It's something that we get. It's a free gift from God. Isn't that what you taught? And I think there might be a a difference here between the word justification and the word salvation. Because Paul clearly taught about justification by faith. 
And you probably, you may have heard this verse before, but Paul in his letter to the Roman Christians said this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's all from Jesus. We don't have to work at all to get that. That's our justification. To the Ephesian Christians, he wrote this. This is maybe a familiar one to you. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, Paul, you're saying that we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but you just said it's not by works. So so what is Paul trying to get at here? Is that a, a conflict? Is he contradicting himself? Well, Pastor in India named Ashke Rajkumar says this. He says, working out our salvation is not... The means of our being saved. It is, however, the evidence of our being saved. Y'all understand the difference of that? And this helped me. Again, I'm going to read that again. Working out our salvation is not the means of our being saved. It is, however, the evidence of our being saved. It shows that we really are. Salvation, Paul infers in his other letters, is the ultimate culmination of our justification by faith when Jesus will return a second time and he will reign this time as king and lord. He won't be the suffering servant role that he was in the first century. When Jesus comes back, y'all, it's going to be no mistake. He is lord and king. And that's going to be when ultimately salvation comes to culmination. One commentary puts it this way. This, uh, this refers to the future salvation, the sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians, those who believe in Jesus and have put their faith in Him, redeemed from all earthly ills, will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the completed and eternal kingdom of God. One day we're going to experience that ultimate salvation. We have been justified. We are right before God now because of what Jesus did on that cross and his resurrection. But ultimately, until then, Paul is urging the Philippians and us that we need to work out that understanding, that longing, that faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see with fear and trembling. Has anything made you fear and tremble? Somebody, I ain't scared of nothing. You know, last year some of us were a little scared of some stuff, weren't we? And some of us have been in situations where we know what it is to shake with fear, okay? My dad used to do that when I was growing up. You can, you know, some, sometimes that was a good thing, right? Sometimes kids, you need to be scared of your parents. It keeps you out of a lot of stuff, right? You know? But fear and trembling here does not need to be seen here as this over-intimidating dread or anxiety that causes us to respond out of fear or panic, but rather a knowledge of the awesome power that the God of the universe possesses and yet loves us enough to spare us and save us from that wrath and consequence that we deserve, knowing that He is the creator of the universe, but yet He wants to have a personal, loving relationship with each of us. That makes us fear and tremble that I want to do the right thing for Him because He has this power, but He also loves me that much. It's it's an amazing thing. And it also gives us a, a big picture perspective that we should have a healthy relationship, a healthy awe and reverence for God and His character. Um, When I was growing up, my grandmother's church and grandfather's church was this beautiful old church in Columbus, Georgia. It was an Episcopal church. And man, when you walked in there, it was just like, I mean, it was this old wood and these big, huge stained glass and everything just made you like, oh, you're in the presence of God. And there was something about that that was powerful every time I walked in that church. And I think that's what Paul is saying here, we should have this um, reverence and awe for God in the big picture of things. 
And Paul, we think, may have even been referring to something that the psalmist was in Psalm 2, verse 11, which says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That means there's sometimes we're so excited about something and something that's powerful that's happened that we tremble a little bit because of the joy that we have in recognizing something good has happened. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, says this, by the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. And again, Paul's saying there's going to be this final day. And we have this justification, but someday our actions here on this earth will be judged ultimately. It is very possible that Paul is not just referring to personal salvation, but that the Philippians should work out their presentation of the salvation as the body of Christ with fear and trembling. So how we present Christ and salvation and justifications to others is very important. It's even sacred. Because going back to my... Uh, the young man I was talking to, Eddie, at the time, Eddie came from a, de- a very different background. And if I just said, Eddie, I don't get it. I don't care where you came from. You should just believe in Jesus. Well, it wasn't that easy for Eddie. He came from a very different background. How we present the gospel to people, we have to use some sensitivity and recognize where are they coming from. That's what Jesus did. When you look throughout the gospels, Jesus talked to different people from different walks of life, and he started right where they were and took them from there to where they needed to be. And that's what we have to do as well. And if the body, us presenting the gospel message, if we're not unified, then how are people going to view the reality of the transforming power of the gospel if we're not together. And Gavin did a great job last week with the assistance of a couple of our students. You remember on this side he was dipping the water with a full cup that was fully intact and that person was able to transfer that water to one thing. But over here somebody had a piece of a cup, if you remember that, and they were trying to dip that out. When we're fractured and torn, it doesn't help the presentation of the gospel. We have to be together. And once we understand and put our faith in the fact that we have been justified in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to have a response to that justification. And that response, y'all, is how we live every day. It's not just, oh, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. Isn't that great? I'm just going to keep it here in my wallet and pull it out whenever I need it. But I'm just going to live however I want. No, that's not ever what Jesus intended when he wants to transform our lives. There needs to be a concrete evidence to show that we understand that our justification is ultimately leading us to salvation when this life is over here on this earth, and we're going to, and our lives need to show that. Paul explains that. For it is God who works in you and will to will and to act according to his good purpose. So God doesn't make us do it, but he's working in us so that we can will and we can act. God works in us, but we are the ones that ultimately have to have the will and we have to have the action to show we really understand our justification and it's a response from us. And God acts through us, urging the Holy Spirit to work in us, to help us work out that salvation daily and for the rest of our lives um, and this is something what, what I referred to a few weeks ago from a guy named Michael DeFazio. He says it's called cruciformity. 
becoming, taking on the form of the crucified one. We're becoming like Jesus. I'm trying to be cruciformed into his likeness. And that's something we have to do. Now, th- that work, these actions, reactions, my choices, my lifestyle, they all show God and the rest of the world how much I value being justified before God through Christ's atoning death and resurrections. The ups and downs that we have in our lives is where we work out our salvation. And am I going to keep my faith in Christ who has justified me before God or because of a difficult situation or maybe even a successful situation in my life, I'm going to abandon my faith in God? Now, when you think about this for a minute, we are all working out our salvation right now as I'm speaking. Some of you haven't heard a single word I I, I said this morning. You know why? You're working out your salvation. There's something in your life that's bugging you to the very core whether it's with your marriage, with your kids, with your job, with just the situation in the earth, a health situation, you're thinking about that so much that you go, what, what? <laughs> when you said, yeah, I weren't paying attention, some of you went, what? I wasn't. <laughs> because you are working out your salvation, aren't you? We're constantly working out our salvation. And I said that sometimes because of a difficult situation, we get mad at God. God, why did you let this happen? Why is this happening in my life? And so now we're mad and we want to abandon God because something bad happened in the world. But here's the other thing. Sometimes great things can happen in our life. Success comes to us. And guess what? We are quick sometimes to abandon God in those situations too. That's why we have to daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, throughout our whole lives, we're constantly working out our salvation. Let me just show you the human side of God. In the gospel message, Jesus, y'all remember probably the feeding of the 5,000. Well, Jesus had fed 5,000 people and people said, how did you do that with a little boy's lunch? How did he do that? He has the power to do that. He should have the power to overthrow Rome. And it says in the Gospels that after he did this miracle, that people came and tried to make Jesus force and make, by force, make him king. And you know what Jesus did after that? I think this is fascinating. Jesus, it says he went and left all the disciples. Somehow he snuck out of that situation. No, I'm not going to be your king. And he went and prayed all night. I'm like, what did you pray about? I think from a human side, Jesus says, I do have the power to overthrow Rome. I know I have it, but this is not what God brought me into the world to do, to overthrow Rome. You know, armies have been overthrown for years, but no, you, and so he prayed that night, said, don't let the human side of me and what these people are saying keep me from doing what you've called me to do, Jesus. He even wrestled sometimes with the things that God called him to do. Think of it like this, and and, and again, we're all wrestling with things, but I want to try to bring this, this, um, uh, justification thing and this salvation thing. I hope it's a little clear here. If, if, if one of you has a desperate need for a vehicle, let's say, you need a car to get to work and you don't have the money to get the car and you, you've just got this job and you, you've, you've got to have a vehicle. And, and what if I go out and buy you a, bra- a brand new car at great sacrifice to me personally, but I give it to you and I hand you the keys and go, this is your car. Now you can get to work. It's a brand new car. You don't have to worry about maintenance. You don't have to worry about breaking down. It's yours. But what if you said, man, thank, thanks a lot, Craig. This is really nice, but uh, I'm going to need insurance on that car. And I noticed that it's on E, and I really am going to need some gas on that car. <laughs> well, I'm probably going to say to you, this is a gift. You've got the keys now. It is yours, and you have to work out the insurance, and you've got to work out going from F to, to, to full, you know, from, from empty to full. That's going to be you. You've got to work that out. And guess what? Down the road, it's going to need oil changes, and it's going to need tires, and it's going to need maintenance. But now you've got to work all that out because I've given you the gift, but you've got to work that out. 
Now, what's interesting about that, your response next in getting insurance for that car and filling that car up with gas says a lot to me about your understanding and appreciation of the sacrifice I made so that you could have that car. Where you go, how you drive that car, how you treat that car and take care of that car will say something to me about your understanding of the value of that car as a gift. And if other people hear the story that you were given that car, they see how you treat that car and how you take that gift seriously, it says something to them about how much you appreciate that gift. Do you see where I'm going with that? God has justified us before God, but we have to work out in our lives showing Him and the rest of the world, do we really appreciate that? Or do we expect God just to fix everything? It's a broken world. And the thing that separates us from God is sin. And God has fixed that through Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. We are justified now. And this body at Philippi needs to take seriously, with fear and trembling, just like us, that their own justification and salvation as well as their presentation of that to others by their daily lives makes a difference. And that's the big picture perspective we need to see today. That our life says something not only to God himself, but to everybody else, what I really believe about Jesus and this thing called justification and salvation. I want to read a couple of paraphrases of this passage I read today that may help a little bit. From the New Living Bible, it says this, Dear friends, as you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard, listen to this, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. What I'm getting at, friends, this is from the message, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Just a little different view of that, but again, it tells us what we need to do. The truth for all of us as we look at this text, we are all working out our salvation, y'all. All of us are. Right now, every one of us. One minute we feel confident in our faith, then something can happen and we struggle. Last year, these last two years with COVID and all this crazy stuff in the world has made us all kind of go, man, what is going on? And we ask how and why and where is God in all this? And I think about it. Some of you probably this morning, when the alarm clock went off, you went, man, I don't know if I really want to go to church this morning. It's okay. I stared up. There's times I stare up in the ceiling. I really don't want to go preach this morning. You know, I, I am wor- as I'm preaching this sermon, y'all, I am working out my salvation with fear and trembling just like you are. There's things that happened to y'all. I heard about four people, no, six people in our congregation in the last week that have COVID now. And I'm struggling with all of that. Where's this going? And I have to work that out. I have to work that out. But hopefully we're reminded that we are not the only people that have had to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. When we read the Bible from cover to cover, we hear of all the different people who struggled. Moses, why did you call me to lead this bunch of griping and complaining people? Elijah did this great, uh, you know, this great uh, 
miracle God did through him on, on, on uh, Mount Carmel. And then a few, uh, a few days later, he's going, God, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing anything else. I'm the only righteous person of all is Israel. And God goes, no, you're not Elijah. You may feel like that, but you're not. And he told him the exact number of people in Israel that were still faithful to him. Paul is in jail, y'all, while he's writing this. And he's going, am I going to be executed or am I going to get to go on another missionary journey? I don't know. He's working out his salvation just like we are. We're constantly doing that. And Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians while he's waiting this trial. But many of you are going through stuff in your life that is not easy. And you're working out your salvation at this moment. And this is where we need to be reminded of what Paul said at the end of this this uh, verse here. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. While you're working out your salvation, while I'm working out my salvation, make no mistake, God is working all around us to remind us of the truth. Those saying, those saying, those songs that we sang this morning, I thought about how powerful those words to remind us. Paul was like, I'm just a nobody, but I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus because it transforms their life. And yeah, we got to work out all this stuff when life comes in, but we still have Jesus. Jesus was able to work out all of the same stuff we did, yet was without sin. I, it just blows my mind. But maybe there's somebody here today that needs to accept the gift of justification and realize that you have that in your life. You are justified before God. He doesn't see you as sinful anymore. He sees you as perfect. And he wants you to live like that. And he's going to allow his Holy Spirit to live in you and to, to continue to live like that. Even when he knows we can't possibly be perfect, he still picks us up, dusts us off, and says, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm with you. Don't ever, ever, ever forget that. So this morning, if there's somebody here today that needs to accept that gift of justification and to continue to work out your salvation with Jesus living in you, we want to offer that invitation. And we're a church that's not perfect, but you know what? We're constantly working out our salvation. So if you're looking for a church home. So I know the praise team's going to come up here and they're going to lead us. And uh, I'm excited about this song. I think it will really touch you. Listen carefully as they sing. If you have a decision, I'm going to be right here on these steps. We'll try to walk you through that. Or if you'd like prayer, come up. We'd be glad to pray with you. Um, but we're also going to, um, during this time, prepare our hearts for communion where we remember the, the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made to give us our justification and, and ultimately our salvation through his death on the cross. So let's prepare our hearts as, as we hear this song and as we think about what Jesus did for us.